Welcome to The Bridge, fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Welcome to The Bridge. We are a show that connects East and West. My name is Jason. I'm originally from sunny California and now living in beautiful Beijing. Today with me is Alex. Hello, everybody. I am Alex Sure, I am from the clean and crisp part of China, the Northwest, and I'm speaking to everybody from Beijing, China today. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. I want to talk today about tolerance. Mm. So in a lot of Americans' minds, when they hear the word tolerance, they think, oh, that's that good thing when people uh, like allow other cultures to exist in proximity to their own. I actually read this book. It's called... Um Regulating Aversion by a doctor, Mm -hmm. Wendy Brown, who teaches at UC Berkeley. And this book basically says tolerance is a bad thing. And not because you shouldn't be tolerant, but that is the bare minimum that you should do. Mm -hmm. Like tolerance, like assumes that you have to put up with something. It indicates that there is something that requires being tolerant of. And so the, the movement now is towards cultural appreciation instead of tolerance. Because tolerance, well, it says, oh, uh, well, we don't, we're not the same. You know, you can have your tacos while I make my barbecue. <laughs> and it's like, oh, that's not the really what we should be doing. Instead, let's, why don't we share and like, let's all have tacos mm. and barbecue. <laughs> I guess the word itself just bears a little bit of a, a negative annotation, but it's not necessarily a bad word. You know, mm-hmm, if mm-hmm. we're talking about like cross-cultural tolerance, that's kind of just like, I understand I'm different from you and you're different from me and we could all tolerate that we could all tolerate the differences and try to find a way to coexist. I mean, I see what you're saying, but I also I, I think about that word tolerance a lot since I read this book. And so let's say mm. uh, if you're in a little bit of pain at the hospital, yes, like, the doctor will say, can you tolerate this? Yeah. The, t- the fact that something is being tolerated indicates that there's some mm. problem, like there's pain. So or like there's discomfort, people having someone of a different ethnicity or culture move into their neighborhood. Oh, we'll tolerate them. It doesn't seem like a good connotation to me. It seems like, hey, let's go invite them over. And oh, they're from, you know, I don't know, Thailand. Great. This is a great opportunity. I'm going to make them a bunch of cakes and hope they make me Thai food one time. Yeah. <laughs> that's the ultimate goal. That's that's the that's the thing that you go for for all the things that you put up with if we're trying to avoid using the word tolerance. But you know, the, it's funny that you use the pain analogy because that's exactly what I was thinking as well, because that's probably where the word comes up the most when people talk about your pain tolerance Mm. and that's funny enough even if it means a little bit of a a problem is is there in your system it's also an integral part of who Mm. we are Mm. so you could talk about you could you could say that it's your it's your threshold if you don't want to say it's your tolerance i want to admit something that i feel sometimes i feel guilty about in, I'm an American, obviously, and if I'm in America, if I want to like dress in Chinese clothes, I'm gonna so get in trouble. One hundred percent and a half. Like it's going to. I'm totally gonna get in trouble. Yeah. And so one of my secret dirty pleasures about like living in China <laughs> is that I can dress up in Chinese clothes, and people are like, "Wow, you look so cool!" I know. Wow, you should do that more often. Why don't more Western people wear these clothes? So like, as an American, I feel like I'm getting away with something. Because if I was back home, people would be like. 
hey, you are you're, you're white. You can't. You're appropriating <laughs> our culture, or you're appropriating their culture. Like, take that off, and like, yeah. you should you should know better. Blah blah blah. And so, like, oh, it's totally dealt with differently over here. So, what I mean is, like, in China, like, there is more of uh, okay. So, let me, let me give an example. If a lot of Han mm. folks, Chinese folks, they go to Yunnan. <laughs> yes. They like to dress up and the the Mao people's clothes and they're like hey don't i look pretty and they take pictures and like the the meow people are happy and the, mm-hmm. the han people are happy and everyone gets photos and there's economic exchange and everyone dances and have yeah. has a good time that night you can't really do that as much in the united states because if you try <laughs> to put someone else's regalia their clothes on their regalia on people are going to be like whoa what do you think you're doing? And I think that the United States, as much as it calls itself a melting pot, might want to learn from China's outlook on this a little bit. I remember just either talking about it or thinking about it very recently. And I was thinking China's more of a melting pot, I guess, because A, we've been through a much longer time <laughs> in history where we're existing with different ethnic minority groups. And there's also periods mm. where at least in capital cities or metropolitan cities in China, we have people from overseas, like foreigners living in China as part of Mm -hmm. what the city's identity Mm -hmm. is. You know, when you said that, like, if you put on a Chinese Mm -hmm. costume, Chinese dress, uh, Chinese clothes in the States, people would say you are appropriating their cultures. For me, it's a little funny because that's exactly what Jason just just said earlier. Like, if you do that in China, people are going to be like, oh, you like our traditional stuff. Like, you know, you look very different from how we would look in our traditional clothes. So, like, you know, keep it up, my friend. <laughs> keep uh, liking our, our our culture and, and products from our culture. And when I was in the States, I remember people were actually people were not. How would I say this? People come that come from a different cultural background. A lot of them actually didn't didn't mind uh, other people mm-hmm. either dressed mm-hmm. up in there because I attended a couple of weddings where the groom was uh, Turkish mm-hmm. um, and the bride was Nigerian. And uh, there was mm-hmm. another wedding where it was like our Indian friends and they were like mm-hmm. giving out clothes like all of the, the mm-hmm. bridesmaids and the grooms, groomsmen were dressed in their traditional clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Indian wedding, people are like, oh, you, you can wear this dress that's like very much visibly Indian. Mm-hmm. And they were not like why did you do that and then you did it at my wedding like that's <laughs> so disrespectful it's like mm-hmm. they liked you they wanted you to be part of what their culture is especially if it's a, an occasion for the celebration so i guess the, the idea of like oh you're appropriating their culture i guess at least half of the time doesn't come from people that are actually mm-hmm. of that culture well i think you know we have to keep in mind there's the we've talked about this before there's a respectful way to do it where you like you're maybe you're part of that community or you know people in that community and you're like dressing up maybe i have a friend i have a good example i have a friend named nolan he is a juris doctorate so he's a lawyer mm. and he was part of the chinese chinatown community after having lived in china for many years mm. they found out he spoke fluent mandarin and so the san francisco chinatown invited him to give a very short speech during chinese new year several years ago mm-hmm. so he came up and he was dressed up in uh kung fu shan clothes you know traditional yeah. chinese clothes and he gave a short two-minute speech in mandarin about the chinatown was really important to the community or something like that mm. and so they were like yeah 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 because part of it w- was that he you know was entering into their space on their terms with their consent and like so it was done well mm. there's the, there's obviously a huge difference between that and like dressing up as a native american for halloween yeah so yeah america does have these like very careful rules. very subtle rules about how it needs to be done and needs to be done in a way where it's not 
poking fun at that culture. Or maybe in some cases, yes, some parts of American culture do view using their hair configurations or dress as inappropriate unless they're very specific, like uh, uh, rules follow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're listening to The Bridge. I want to talk about cultural appreciation in the context of assimilation. Mm. And what's the difference between assimilation <laughs> legally and culturally? So mm. I have this article here from NextShark.com by Carl Sampson. And it says, American man to give up his U.S. citizenship to become <laughs> Chinese. And uh, this very long haired bearded gentleman in the picture <laughs> has already gotten his green card. And this was 2018. So presumably by now he is mm. Chinese. So I want to I have actually looked at this process. And so I know a little bit about it. So in order to do this, first, you need a green card, and then you need to have lived in China a certain yeah. period of time. Usually you should have ethnic heritage. So if you're like third generation Chinese, it's easier. Yeah. Or um, you speak fluent Mandarin and you're married. Oftentimes that's or you've invested a large amount of money. But before you can have Chinese citizenship, you need to give up your home country citizenship. Mm. So this man presumably went to the US embassy where he had to <laughs> swear that he is giving up his U.S. citizenship and pay a tax on his total assets, liquid and otherwise. In the U.S.? Yeah, well, to the embassy, he has to pay a tax to the United States government for like a certain percentage of his income Mm. in order to give up his U.S. citizenship. Once he's done that, he leaves that embassy and he is a citizen of no country. Mm. Then he goes to the Chinese appropriate office, entry, exit, and then they will give him his uh, Chinese passport if he meets all of the requirements that they've set out for him. So before he would go to the U.S. embassy, obviously he would have already ticked every single box yeah. and triple checked that because otherwise he's going to become a countryless person. Like the terminal. <laughs> yeah, like like the terminal. You know, like to, he yes. would become Tom Hanks. He would become Tom Hanks, but he would be in Beijing. And they would have nowhere to uh to send him. Yeah. Because he can't send him <laughs> to his home country. He doesn't have one anymore. But anyways, presumably it worked out for this gentleman. I couldn't find any follow-up. Mm. So according to the article, this was his plan. He had already gotten the green card. He's married to a Chinese lady with a uh yeah. I mean, they have they have a son together in China. So I'm assuming it did work out. For uh, I'm pretty sure we could find this person within 20 minutes if we really wanted to ask around, you know, within this is <laughs> the whole expect uh, community in China is very it's much more close knit than we give it credit for. The, the only way I know for what this gentleman is able to have is the I guess the first step is always get the Chinese green card. And for you to do that, because my friend just told me that if you marry a Chinese citizen mm-hmm. for if you put in your application, when you get married, then it'll take six years of living in China for you to get your green card. Mm. Well, we uh, recently applied for me to get my green card because I can retain because green Ooh. card is something you don't have to mess with your citizenship for. It just means you can per- yeah. you can actually it's, it needs to be renewed every 10 years. And this is here's the trick. <laughs> Once you have your first green card, it becomes easier to renew because the application process is insane and it does require a passport and all these other things. When you're reapplying for your green card you don't actually need a passport anymore yeah. you can just use your own green card to reapply to renew your green card That's it's, nice. so it's a much simpler process and yeah. it makes they do want you to own a home okay yeah and they do want you to have a certain amount of money in the bank and they do want you know simple things like yeah you should be married to a chinese citizen or have invested a certain amount of money 
and uh, several other things that we've we actually have not got ours, mm. but I am looking forward to getting it in the next couple of months. I mean, I guess that's just kind of I read the the requirements for you to at least to apply for a green card in China. The website listed out the Chinese government website listed out seven. Um, and it says that as long as you meet one of these requirements, you'll be able to mm. apply. But I'm sure that they would mm-hmm. want you to be able to have more <laughs> so that you can have a stable life. Well, yeah, I think <laughs> there's know? a big concern, you know, that people would come over because increasingly China is more developed than a lot of places where some folks are migrating from. Mm. And so uh, you can get pretty easy access to medical care and retirement pension if you work Definitely. here and things. So uh, China wants people who are not going to abuse the system. Which is very understandable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, America does that a lot of the same stuff too. Yeah. The reason I bring this up is because I want to talk about the reverse, which is uh, obviously more common. A lot of folks want to migrate to the United States from yes. countries around the world, and they eagerly try to get a uh, green <laughs> card and a passport in the United States. Yeah. It's really interesting I I see two dynamics here, and I want to bring this back to China later, but I see two dynamics. Mm -hmm. There's becoming a U.S. citizen legally, so you're assimilating legally, Mm. and then there's becoming, like, American-ish. Culturally. Like, culturally. Mm. Right, exactly. So... (laughs) <laughs> One of the I, I I drew up some of the requirements uh, for becoming a U.S. citizen legally, and they are like taking a test yeah. and knowing you know the history of America and like no understanding like uh, you know so okay, let me just point this out. No one goes to a party and starts talking about Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> You know what? Have you ever been to a cocktail party or like a, you know, someone's house party in America and they started talking about Hamiltonian uh, (laughs) banking? (laughs) <laughs> Not until recent oh, years, yeah? when they, but they but they talk about Hamilton in a much different. Oh, okay, uh, yeah, yeah, context. right. So what I mean is, in order to become illegally American, you need to learn about U.S. history and like uh, the Tea Party thing that they did in Boston, where they yeah. dumped all the tea off the yeah yeah. Yes. I took that in high school, you know, high school history. The exactly. Mayflower, yeah. And you need to learn about Columbus and the Mayflower and all of this stuff. Yeah. But you don't go to parties and talk about that. You don't go. You don't go hang out at the grocery store and say wow which one is your favorite santa maria you know <laughs> like or mayflower like you know and people people would be like what are you talking what is wrong with this person so all of the way that we ways that people legally assimilate to america mm. to the united states government aren't applicable to like daily life and like interact was normal, about to say, normative interactions with people what is going to help you to become an american legally is not going to help you become <laughs> american culturally it's not going to help you socially you know because like we did uh talk about those questions that you have to answer mm. and the things that you have to say when you swear um you know when you swear to become take take up an american citizenship a lot of that is not even clear to an actual american citizen mm-hmm. you know who grew up who was who's born and raised in the U- united states it's it's kind of like they're asking you to pledge something that's specific to people who are not part of this country, which is a little it's very interesting to look at if you think about it. Like you could just be born mm. here and not know these things. But if you want to join, then you have to know these things that other people don't know who are citizens. Like <laughs> Yeah, oftentimes people who are practicing for their citizenship test in the United States know considerably <laughs> more about U.S. history and politics. Yep. Like which what are the three branches of government? If you just walk down the street asking random people in any city except maybe Washington, D.C 
see in America. Yeah. People are going to be like, uh, I don't know. And the Congress, maybe? What are <laughs> like, you talking about? Why are you asking me a question like this? Yeah, what's, well, your, what's your goal? <laughs> they're going to start sweating. Oh, gosh. High school all over again. <laughs> I know. But, but if like, you ask, what? yeah, a recent immigrant, they're going to name a boat. Probably. <laughs> like, it's something we learn in high school as well. So not even immigrants. I guess if you ask a high school, Chinese high school kid who's traveling in U.S., like we know that mm, it's part mm. of what we have to remember. So I, th- I think that's really interesting. I mean, I'm not saying that they need to reinvent the system. I'm not criticizing it. I'm just saying that there is a noticeable difference. So like if you want to become Americanish, you need to start listening to music, watching like television programs, popular movies, yeah. spending time with different people from different age groups and different like cultural backgrounds. Learning about like American culture is like is considerably different from assimilating yeah. legally. So I think that's really interesting. And I was wondering for you, Alex, if someone comes from any other country, Nigeria or the United States, and they come to China, what kinds of things do you think they need to do in order to culturally assimilate? Um, first off, like we always say on this show, like just hang out with Chinese people. <laughs> first and mm. foremost, I we recently had this conversation with a friend and, you know, um, it's a very good friend of ours and he's been here for a while, but the notion of him saying that another friend of ours is more Chinese than us was like, I was like, yeah, it was a little interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say culturally, if you want to assimilate or if you want to be assimilated into the place you're living, at least in China, I guess you just have to kind of expand your social circle because we are mm-hmm. such mm-hmm. a community oriented culture. Like we mm. like groups. We'd like to have different people. Um, in a group and of course it's easier for you to talk to people that are more like-minded but like Mm -hmm. are you really talking to not like real Chinese per se but are you really talking to as many Chinese people as you can to really understand what this culture is about and then I would also say like a lot I know a lot of people who live here for a longer period of time they do work with a lot of Chinese people they do go to different Chinese businesses and they actually tend to travel a lot more than some of us Chinese people do mm, mm. Um, I definitely haven't been to as many places as a lot of my foreign friends have who lived in China mm. but if you really want to understand in a deeper way like a more detailed way of what Chinese culture is about I would say watch some TV shows because the TV shows are made and acted mm-hmm. and designed mm-hmm. specifically for a very domestic audience. And then if you want to understand and at least spot the differences between what you think uh, it is and what the what the culture actually is or what the people are actually about, then watch some Chinese TV shows and you don't have to understand everything that's going on in that tv show but i would say Mm. i would say that's a that's a good way that's a definitely much better way to start at least for me i love tv shows well i guess i have to watch more tv i watch some chinese movies but not as much television because when i see television the shows that i end up Mm. being exposed to through my wife are the chinese soap operas about like the ladies of the court the concubine (laughs) shows make so much more sense though jason it makes so much sense about chinese culture this is a bit gendered but it's all about 20 ladies who are 
bickering like in a courtly setting where the I know, and, I and know. it's just not but you have to look beyond that <laughs> okay maybe i haven't i haven't watched enough of these soaps to understand i know it's it's hard to kind of get into but it actually you know that i think the show that you're talking about is probably one of the most popular period dramas in chinese mm. recent uh tv history and that show if you really study it that actually will help you navigate the kind of the professional arena in china like really what well. yes it's, this it's is about, blowing my mind I, you're saying watching soap operas is going to help me navigate chinese culture i'm so confused oh absolutely because it's really how people handle but if you went to america and uh-huh. and someone's not going to tell you like the days of our lives are going to help you like navigate american culture so go ahead yeah go ahead. but in, in china at least like that again uh, everything that is practiced and observed in chinese society it comes from a historical background so if you really want to understand the root of things why certain things are the way they are right now like if you just trace it back you'll probably find you'll probably find a reason for everything in chinese history and those you know period dramas of course there's a, a lot of exaggeration there's you know dramatization of what's going on but the kind of the core idea is still like how do you how do you survive how do you become successful and when do you kind of you know speaking the keyword of our show today like how do you tolerate how do you assimilate I really is 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 very interesting if you study it there's so much to learn from that show you should you should talk to your wife and rewatch it <laughs> i have made some seriously miscalculations i thought reading confucius and lao tzu sun tzu that kind of stuff was gonna be like opening my mind to chinese culture but i guess i just need to watch more soap operas it's easier it's easier than reading <laughs> well you know there's a not all this i mean some of them do have english subtitles mm. but i guess i would have to edge up my mandarin to really get like into a soap opera because there are a lot of like phrases used in chinese culture like those four what are they dot 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 where they have four words and they mean like some special insight yeah proverbs. the proverbs yeah, so there's a lot of those used both modern and ancient that are in in chinese language all the time and it's like what did they say what did they say i don't understand just be nice to your wife and she can explain the plot to you the plot is what's really important <laughs> just be just be like hey can i can you just give me the utmost patient you have patience you have and then just explain to me what happened in this show most people I would say are welcoming to immigrants they're like hey cool where are you from oh you're from India that's great that's cool but I think there's some there's some xenophobic parts of American uh, society a mm. smaller proportion I don't, I don't want to put a percentage on it because I really don't know but there are people who are mm. averse to immigrants coming in obviously and this comes up all the time so I'm wondering in China do you think that trying to assimilate into Chinese culture is welcome by folks? Probably. I guess there are a lot of, first off, again, I felt like I haven't brought this up in a while, but I'm a very heavy Douyin user. Mm, mm, <laughs> mm. The amount of time I spend on Douyin is, is just a little, it's a little shameful. But if you, if you do watch Douyin videos, you will know that there are a lot of like foreign um douyin vloggers what mm-hmm. douyin uh, key opinion leaders mm-hmm. that speak very good chinese and mm. um i could some examples there's this guy i think his name is tyler he lives in dalian of course his wife is chinese and he speaks very fluent dalian dialect and then he mm. makes like chinese he 
cooks Chinese food, and of course the way、hmm. he eats it, it's very like gluttonous, and it's it makes me, you know. <laughs> but he is very much like if you don't look at his face, you will probably think he's a Chinese person,、mm. and he has so many followers on on social media, and the same for. This other girl, well, she doesn't actually live in in China anymore, but her husband is from Dongbei, and now their whole family is living in in LA. I think she speaks like full on Dongbei、mm. Dongbei dialect as well, and then she makes the most authentic Dongbei cuisine. It's it's insane. It's not like oh these dishes are popular on the internet. She's like I am gonna make some just you know. Dongbei house, you know, common、uh, household food,、mm. household dishes, and she is very, very good at those things. A lot of people probably can't、uh, make those dishes themselves, and she's super popular. Nobody's saying, you know, she's taking our culture or anything. And then <laughs> there are mixed kids who grow up、mm. in China, like Gu Ailin.、Um, Gu Ailin. Well, Gu Ailin didn't even grow up here, but you know, Ailin Gu. Ailin Gu. Yeah, but she, but she's mixed. She's mixed, and she speaks. Perfect fluent Mandarin. Her yes, definitely. <laughs> I have a better example. There's this there's this okay, girl named、uh, her name is Tina. I don't know her last name. I don't know whatever, but I think she's like she's mixed as well, and she was born and raised here in Beijing.、Mm. Eileen's Mandarin is really good, but like if you listen to her to Eileen Gu speaking Chinese, speaking Mandarin,、mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you can still tell like from the different you know the intonations and the the rhythms a little bit. Like you tell like oh this is someone、uh, who grew up overseas、mm-hmm. and their Chinese is really good. But if you listen to Tina, it's like oh my god,、mm. she grew up in the Hutong. She grows. She grew up in the Hutongs of Beijing. Like there's no, and、uh, she has a huge following as well. So like at least from social media. Um, from that perspective, people welcome that. Like, if you really master or you're very comfortable with Chinese culture, people are more comfortable with that idea than probably what people outside of China would think. I'm seeing seeing a parallel in what you, because what you're talking about is really、uh, rings with me. So, like in America, oftentimes immigrants who do learn English really well oftentimes are really more easily accepted by m- even the xenophobes. Yeah. So what you're talking about <laughs> In China is like so. Let's say you have a not a someone attempting to assimilate. Let's say an immigrant,、mm-hmm. like what, what, you, what you're talking about. These these individuals who speak fluent Chinese, but you have like someone who's lived here for a couple of few years and they don't speak Mandarin very well.、Mm. And maybe in those cases, they're well. Actually, I think mostly they are welcomed. But occasionally you get like ah, that person didn't bother to learn Chinese, huh? Yeah. So like I think it maybe maybe there's a parallel that cultures like to see people try to be. Try to assimilate and learn about and appreciate the culture in which they're living. Yeah. So there needs to there needs to be an effort. So for people living in China who are trying to be accepted by the Chinese community and understand Chinese culture, it's not enough to just only speak English and hang out in Stanley Tunes. <laughs>、uh, from a p- very personal perspective, my boyfriend doesn't really speak that much Chinese, and、mm-hmm. every time someone says that, it's really it's almost one hundred percent. It's Either that person wants to be able to communicate with him more,、mm. like that person doesn't speak a lot of English and they want to communicate, they want to be able to have a conversation with him because they think he's really interesting、mm-hmm. and、mm-hmm. he's a nice person. He's really interesting. I've met him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you.、Um, so they want to be able to talk to him, or the person is saying that because they say they they're saying, "Hey, if you learn more Chinese, it'll be better for、mm. you." 
um, mm. career wise. So it's always like, oh, this will this will help you or this makes me be able to let us spend more time together, whatever. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I would definitely not a lot of people, but you do run into situations like this in the States. If your English is not good, then when they say like you need to speak English, it's more like if you don't speak English, you have no business living in our country. That kind of hostility, I guess it, it probably exists here as well, but we haven't personally run into that kind of situation at all. Like matter of fact, yesterday when we went to a friend's place somewhere in the DD, when we entered the compound, the the Bawan, the security guy at the door, was so happy to see. I don't know why, but he when he saw my boyfriend, he was like, Oh, <laughs> hello. <laughs> and, then, and then he's like, so much like, you know, trying to say the scan the code yeah, 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 um, yeah. in a in a, a fake accent. It was, but he was and then he gave him a he gave him a thumbs up. He was like waving goodbye. <laughs> it was like and then he was my boyfriend was like, I love people like this. I was like, I know. See, they're just I think you also get that, too. Those people who maybe haven't seen a Chinese person in America and then they're so fascinated when they do see them. Wow. Oh. Hey, you're so beautiful or whatever. Can I, like, oh. I've, I've seen that too. Can I tell like a story? Yeah, absolutely. Please do tell a story, Alex. We love stories on the bridge. Okay, here's a story. And this is by no means saying that we're like judging the people in a certain city or not, or the way they reacted to our presence is one way or another. This is just a story. This is me and my mm-hmm. friend, Said, who is Pakistanian uh, Canadian. Mm-hmm. We were doing our master's degree in Boston. One weekend, we decide to just go up to Maine because they say lobsters there are really good. Yeah, and yeah. We're in New let's England. And we're like, famous. let's go to let's go to Maine. And then we think, oh, where do we go? We pick one city. It's in Maine. We're not going to name the city. Smaller city, but it's kind of a popular travel. That's a short excursion destination for a lot of people living in New England. We go there. Um, the whole morning after we arrive, basically me and Said are the only people there that are not white. (laughs) (laughs) Then uh, we are very self-centered, you know, young girls in their 20s. We wouldn't even really notice Mm. until that has been going on for like four hours. And we're like, wait, I think we're getting different kind of looks, you know? Mm. People are just looking at us, not in a very offensive way, but it's it's just it's just people staring curiosity yeah and and we we went we we're like oh let's go to this restaurant let's sit down and let's eat and there's it's a small town it's not like a public holiday so there's only like three or four tables of people there's one bigger group of like six or seven people and they have their babies with them as well at the bar Sade and I walk into the restaurant we sit down they are talking and laughing as soon as we get the menu the talking and laughing stops and they just turn around to look at us for a good five seconds and then they go back into their conversation <laughs> <laughs> wait that sounds creepy like in a movie everyone yeah. just stopped talking we're and like, turned to look at you we're for like five hold seconds. on we are uh, what is happening to us and at one point I'm, I'm even like say are my shorts too short is that why people are <laughs> and so we are like okay we're getting a little bit uncomfortable just, just us like we're getting a little uncomfortable and um let's we, we go into a theater we go into a theater we watch a movie and we come out of the movie at four and we look around people we're like you know what we haven't had our lobster yet but i think we can call it a day we can just go because <laughs> it's just being different in a city that's not used to seeing people like you i guess we're like this is we didn't expect mm. that at all 
And I guess I guess it goes both ways. Like a lot of people, that story is funny to me because you hear this a lot. I'm sure you do as well, Jason. Mm. If like a someone from another country mm-hmm. arriving in China, and then within three days they'll be like, "Why are people always looking at me?" Well, <laughs> I, I like, actually I wanted to follow up your story with uh, a general like um, discussion about my own experience. So yes, please. In, in America, staring time is shorter. This is something you could look up on YouTube and stuff. Like staring time is a lot briefer, so it's okay to look over at someone for like one one thousand one. Two one okay break yeah maybe be before two seconds break otherwise it becomes like why is this person staring at me what do you think you're doing you know like it actually is creek <laughs> in China like especially with the older generation or people from outside of major urban areas staring time is like five to ten seconds yeah so like I get this a lot where I'm on the subway and like. Everyone's curious because I'm more rare. <laughs> so people look over and they look, oh, okay, there's a foreigner there. And then they look away and they give me the American stare time. Yeah. One to two seconds. But then you get that old gentleman. Yep. Who's, you know, you could tell he's like in his 60s and he'll look over at me and he'll maintain his stare for like 10 seconds before finally breaking off. <laughs> and so I think it's for me, I don't care. Yeah. I'm, actually, I like it. I'm I'm this egotist who's like, yay, everyone's looking at me. Look at me, everybody. And so I. I've always really appreciated it. And one of the things I like about living in other mm-hmm. countries is that I get a lot of attention. <laughs> it's all about me now. <laughs> That's what Jason likes, everybody. Now we know. <laughs> but other folks don't like this. Some other folks. So this is create. This is one of those things that creates a disha- unhappy, unhappy expat. So they'll come over and after six months, they'll be so frustrated. Why is everyone always looking at me? They took a picture of me on the subway. And I'm like, really? Yeah. Just, just accept it. It's okay. They're probably just sharing with their friends. Look, I found this really interesting looking foreigner. Lawai, yeah. Foreigner. Yeah. And I, I took a picture of them and look, 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 there's real. Just turn around and, it's turn like around proof. and do the V. It's like proof for their friends <laughs> that they really saw one. And so so like some people, they have difficulty accepting that they're going to be looked at. And yeah. you know, and so they these people oftentimes only make one year before they go home because they find it uncomfortable, I guess. But, you know, yeah, there are those of us who are just like, yeah, everyone's looking at me. Look at me. Hey, guys. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> and I guess like when you're going to a different country or going into a different culture, it's really about your mindset. Apparently, like if you're not mm. very open minded, if you expect everything, if you're if you don't have a kind of a, a just expectations of what might happen or even prepare yourself to see Mm. differences that you wouldn't be able to predict, Mm, mm, mm. you will experience really strong culture shock. And that will kind of just cast everything in a very, very negative uh, color. I actually was, I think about this every day. Uh, And there's a friend of the show we had on, his name is Jerry Gray. Mm. One of the things that he studied, he has a master's degree in cross-cultural communication. Wow. So he came to China, I'm not sure how long ago, I think it was 12 years ago, if, if I'm wrong, Jerry, I'm sorry. But he came to China quite a while ago and he instantly, you know, took like a fish to water and was like, yay. Yeah. And he really got it and like got into trying to learn Mandarin and like making Chinese friends and doing everything right. Watching the, the Chinese programs, reading Chinese news and media. Yeah. Along alongside his BBC. I know that he's also British and Australian. He, he's proud of that. Uh-huh. But he, he mixes the two and he's really 
he makes it work for me personally. I, when I was in university, I, this is not my major, but I took several courses in anthropology, hmm. which is the study of people. Yeah. And a part of the, what they teach you in cultural anthropology is how to, how you should go into a new culture mm. and try to not maintain your own biases, yeah. but actually put put on their mode of thinking and try to adapt their ways of doing things as much as is comfortable and reasonable so that you can see how their culture is from the inside to study and learn about it. Yeah. So that helped me. And I know a lot of other people who have other backgrounds where they were taught how to adapt to a culture prior to going to live in, in China. Yeah. And they always do a lot better at adapting to those culture to, to Chinese culture than people who just like, okay, <laughs> I, I've always wanted to go see the world and I've never <laughs> left my mom's hometown, but China. And so like those people less so. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of like the idea of being able to travel is sometimes misconstrued with the idea of accepting, accepting, uh, mm. a different culture you know people are like if i've been to all of those places then i know what it means to live in a multicultural mm. environment you know and and culture itself because if you really look up the not even look up if we talk about the definition of culture it's really more about what practices are you know accepted and observed and by a different group of people mm. and it, it's just something that they inherited and it's a result of so many different dimensions of what these people as a group have gone through i've had friends who lived here for a little bit and they're very you know they enjoy their life here but there are things mm. culturally they don't understand and they would always always ask me why <laughs> i'm like i could try my best to give you some reasons but probably a large part of what the culture is about doesn't have like a very, you know, uh, methodol, like very strict methodology or like scientific reasons, <laughs> experiments and statistics to su support why it is. It's the way it is. So just that's the kind of open mindedness that you need a you need a, to have. For those of you who are listening and you were thinking about moving to China, you've never been here. I, I suggest that you come with the idea in mind that you want to try to emulate Chinese culture. You know, if I tried to ask for a four in every restaurant <laughs> which i don't i just want to say i don't do that then you're gonna you're gonna have a big problem <laughs> but it's but you know the reverse side of that is funny i again uh my poor boyfriend we went to went back to our parents place for a dinner um i met with like the members of our family everybody was like oh does he need a fork can we get even my dad was like should we give him <laughs> I a get fork that too, I'm though, like, yeah. look, at, look at i'm like look at how he's using his chopsticks i get that too he's when i go into restaurants I'll I'll start using chopsticks, and at some point, sometimes oh. they'll come by and they'll put a fork there. <laughs> and you're like, they're, they're trying to be considerate. They're not like it's not like an insult or something. They're like, oh look, he's foreign. He must use forks, right? So we've got one. Yeah. Where's the fork? Get it, get it, get it. <laughs> my my friend, my two friends, Chen and Jeremy. Um, they were. This is a story uh, in Connecticut as well. They, because they were living in, um, they went to school in Berkeley and then they lived in DC, they lived in New York. It's all, you know, cities that are more, more open to different cultures, right? Mm. And so, like we said, the cult, like cultural assimilation that we talk about, like once you become socially assimilated to the culture, people tend to be treated very similar. People don't, are not going to be extra cautious and they're not going mm. to mm. cast a judgment on what you might want to do and then try to guess and stuff. So it's just like everybody kind of observes the same. Uh, uh, rituals and customs for example eating uh, with a fork using a fork in a steak restaurant right mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but then they went to Connecticut 
Uh, Jeremy had a job interview there. They went there. After that, they were like, oh my God, the interview went so well. He got the job. Let's celebrate. Let's go to a nice steakhouse. And they went to a steakhouse. Mm-hmm. And the waitress was like, welcome. Oh my God. You guys, okay, you get some water. Da, 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 da. <laughs> the waitress went to get water, came back with two sets of chopsticks. Yeah, how are you supposed to eat steak with chopsticks? I'm- <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this doesn't even, like, if... <laughs> if it- <laughs> just jab it and like, eat, gnaw on the end. <laughs> exactly. Just pick it up and bite it. Bite it, bite it off. I'm like, <laughs> this is not, there is being considered and be like, hey, do you, because you can eat Chinese food with with, uh, with forks if you want, but like, I, there's no way in my life I'll be able to imagine eating steaks with chopsticks. <laughs> and they were so, Jeremy and Chen, they were like so, just kind of baffled by the, by what the, like, we don't know how to respond. We don't think she was trying to be, you know, racist <laughs> or anything. She was very oh, wow. nice and it's a nice restaurant. But I guess she was overly considerate and I guess she didn't really know how think, to. She didn't really think about like uh, steak and chopsticks. Maybe maybe she doesn't use them. She, she actually doesn't know they're. Or maybe she thinks like Asian people are so good at chopsticks. They could eat anything with chopsticks. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we could invent a new kind of chopstick, Alex, where you push a little lever and a little blade comes out. Then you oh cut your steak up and then you retract it and then you can eat your steak with chopsticks. We'll call oh them. Oh my God, that's such a good yeah, idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll call them like a. Chop forks. Daoquiza. Knife knife chopsticks. Knife chopsticks. (laughs) Great business ideas. Anyone that's willing to take up the manufacturing of that, please get in touch. Yeah, if you can do the marketing and uh, the distribution and the manufacturer, we'll just take, uh, you know, the uh, idea part. Yeah, it'll be the best (laughs) blend of two cultures in one tool. Nothing could go wrong with a elongated (laughs) chopstick that might have a knife suddenly shoot out of it in your mouth. <laughs> oh my god. Um buying insurance now for our business, for our business that's yet to even broke broken ground. This was Alex's idea, by the way. Well, uh, this is the, my For the people who was have the lawsuit, I, Alex said that. I provided inspiration. Jason came up with a business idea. So. Oh no, no, no. My idea was definitely don't do that. It's a very bad idea. So, okay, I wanted to talk a little bit about you must have a lot of Chinese friends in your social circle, obviously. What do Chinese folks think about migrating, moving and working, living and working in the United States now versus maybe five or 10 years ago? Is there still Mm. the same appeal or is it has the dynamic (laughs) changed? I don't know if I've talked about this, uh, my own story of going to the United States for graduate study. But 10 years ago, this is not 10 years ago. Oh my God. It's uh, 14 years ago when I was still in high school. Um, For my mom, the idea of going abroad, going to a university in other countries means that your kid cannot survive in the Gaokao, in the college entrance exam in China. Like you won't be able to survive that test. And that's like, if you have money, if you have like connections, and then you can you can send your kids overseas because the, competi- the competition is not as fierce overseas as it is at home. 
And then the the kind of the trend, like we said, the trend and the idea of going abroad changed when I was in college, I guess, because people are living a better life, basically, like the, going overseas is not something that's so unimaginable. So more people are willing to take that opportunity to go study or live overseas mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. a couple of years just to see the difference, you know, just to experience that culture. And even till today, like if my friends uh, who are in arts or who are, you know, in um comparative studies because i have people i have friends in comparative like Mm -hmm, literature mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they're like oh we want to just you know see or have the experience and be exposed to something different for a little bit and people are Mm -hmm, still mm -hmm, willing to have that experience of exchange and see a different culture because at the end end of the day i always say this a lot of people are like oh you lived overseas and you came back how much money do you make i'm really not about how much (laughs) (laughs) it's not about how much money you make you really come back with a very different mindset a different way Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that you look at life a lot of the times of course for people who go study overseas or this it's the same for other people who come to china to study as well like you, you give yourself a leg up when you go back to your own country with this experience and the knowledge you learned mm. in a different country. A lot of people who study finances or like, for example, international studies, policy making, whatever, like you get you get results, quantitative results that you could count like financially. But a lot of people who have this cultural input uh, from living overseas, it's not necessarily reflected in the amount of money you make, the status you have socially. It's more within your brain, Mm. your own system, your thinking system and your value system. You tend to operate different Mm. after you've come back or after you, you just, when you just even just leave because it puts so many things mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, in a new perspective that will I would say almost definitely not happen if you don't live overseas so people are still very you know um, interested and intrigued by the idea of just going overseas for a little bit and see mm-hmm. what it is like and I hope it's the same like the other way around as well. well actually that's what I wanted to talk about you know I feel there are a lot of Chinese folks who end up going to the United States to study and then returning it seems like a lot of Chinese culture Chinese folks uh, really do understand American culture, like various aspects of American culture. I feel like very few, a lot fewer Americans travel to mm. China or even people from the UK or Canada too, live here for a little while and return. So feels like to me that there is a problem where lots of Chinese people actually do get Europe and America mm. and Europeans and Americans don't really understand or get China. I think if you go ask the average American, like, oh, what do you think of China? <laughs> they, they, they will probably say like, oh, the sushi is great or something like that's that's a that's a story that happened to me in Canada. It's an actual conversation. I'm really concerned. I'm le- legitimately concerned for my country, yeah. for America. <laughs> that we don't understand China well enough because, Mm. you know, one of the purposes of this show is to grow understanding, is to help us understand each other so that we can maintain being excellent trade Mm. partners and someday take next steps to develop our diplomacy and like really develop international comprehension, understanding of one another. And I feel like more Americans should come to China and study. So actually one of the things I'm going to be doing in my uh, personal life is trying to encourage Americans to come over for BAs, MAs, and, mm. and and things like that, because there are lots of excellent, very affordable programs here in China that Americans could come over and study for a year or two or three, get a much better idea about what China's actually like, as opposed to what they're told by some of the media apparatus, Definitely. and then return to the United States to help 
create more understanding between our Definitely. People. We had that program when in my university here, Beijing Foreign Studies University, we used to have a program called IES. I don't remember what IES really meant, mm. but International Exchange Studies, mm. I guess. Yeah, yeah. That sounds that sounds good enough. <laughs> where they they bring they bring um American undergraduate uh, students over to mm. our university and you could choose to stay here for mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, one semester a whole school year um, and if you actually excel at this program like you do really well you could even stay longer as the uh, what do you call those kind of the RA the residential mm -hmm. assistant or whatever you call you know where you can make a little bit of money and you still get to study and take classes but you also could mentor new students mm. in the program and in that program you get paired up with a chinese student from our school oh, that's a great idea so yeah. that you yeah so like you live together and then there are all kinds of uh activities that you could do together and then when you do that you're able to also know what the chinese students in the school are doing and you might be able to participate as well mm. and a lot of the people that we know from that program because they were overseas together and they were spending so much time together and they are you know the group of american students experiencing chinese culture and trying to overcome all the differences they're seeing it actually creates a very strong bond between them like it's a very different bond yeah they could be friends for life yeah it's like on e in phone email it's like a much better social media platform it's like a much better fraternity or sorority <laughs> you know like you don't you don't need a drink excessively but i'll just say like when you when you're overseas with your group of friends and then you study and you like try to do things they have to make little movies they have to do like different uh, excursions and come up with reports and stuff That's great. it's really it's an amazing program and um i well the pandemic has kind of you know affected that but like you said i think it's a great uh it's a great cost to dedicate yourself to if you really want to bring more people especially young people over to to china jason i yeah, yeah. strongly commend you to pursue that well it's definitely <laughs> something i'm very interested in doing You know, I wanted to briefly talk about um, something that is starting to impact relations because you mentioned people want to go to the United States and they want to study, they want to get a degree and come back so that they can mm -hmm. uh, share the things that they've learned about American or UK or Canadian culture yeah. uh, in, in their life. And maybe it's mostly for their own benefit and it's, it's less so going to you know, change their income level. <laughs> yeah. So there is a trend for scientists to leave the UK and the US and move to China. Mm. I have one chart from OECD. Mm. Actually, it's from sciencebusiness.net. The title of the article is Scientists Leave the UK as China Overtakes US as Most Favored Destination. Mm. And they have a graph that shows, in fact, China is the most favored destination for, for quote, Internationally Mobile Publishing Scientists, 2015 mm. uh, to 2020. So China is now the top destination for scientists. And so for those of us who are watching that, a lot of Chinese folks in the past have gone to the UK mm. or the US, studied STEM, and then used that as an opportunity to stay longer yeah. and done work in like places like Silicon Valley and so forth. But increasingly, that is not the trend. <laughs> the trend is turning around. And now scientists, when they finish yeah. their degrees in the U.S. and U.K., are coming back to China to work in, what is it called, the Greater Bay Area in the Shenzhen. Yeah. There's this huge 
in industrial parks in Shanghai and in Beijing and in Hangzhou, which also has quite a few of these yeah. high tech institutions. Yeah. I mean, yeah. people, it became a, if we call it a new trend, of course we can, but it's also kind of a natural progression. Mm. I mean, back in 30 years ago, of course, China's not as developed uh, 30 years ago. Mm. There are no like leading tech companies in the world because Google has already started to to form like, you know, the internet was already there. Um, it's just not as widely uh, applied as it is nowadays. So, of course, these people that are trying to aim for the highest, they will be attracted to go where there are better conditions and bigger market for them. But let's even say like it, regardless of what you think about China, really, just objectively speaking, the market for tech growth mm. in China, mm-hmm. there's a much bigger space for growth right now. And given the speed of economic development in the Chinese society, if you really want to do bigger more and more things like you will probably be in a market where you know that they're welcoming and encouraging such growth and let alone that there are so many companies Mm -hmm, that are mm -hmm. worldly famous that are on the same playing field with uh google facebook you know um in china there are all of these tech companies that are like xiaomi ByteDance, um Mm -hmm. all of these companies that will have a more supportive environment for a lot of scientists Mm -hmm. and then it's kind of just you know they will always go to where they are welcome the most and where they could grow the most. I have another chart, and this is going to surprise some people, one or two of these pieces of data. So firstly, um, the first chart I have shows that China now produces the most amount of scientific papers. Another one that I have shows that mm. they are now the number one most cited papers, which is people, some people contest the first piece of data. But I have the ranking for um, different kinds of technologies in terms of who comes first in the world. Mm. So for example, AI, China number one, US number two, South Korea number three, Japan number four, and Germany number five. Mm. China is number one in most of these categories. Regenerative medicine, China number one. Mm. Autonomous driving, China number one. This next one is one I think people are going to be confused about. Blockchain. Blockchain (laughs) technology. Because people misunderstand. See, China still uses blockchain technology to encrypt and to create national currencies. Mm. It's just not letting people just make their own currency. So like, you can't just go make your own money in China, but they are still using (laughs) blockchain technology. Cybersecurity, China number one. Virtual reality, China number one. Lithium ion batteries, China number one. You know, the United States still does hold a quantum computing and a couple other Mm. fields, but like China is increasingly cutting edge of science and scientific applications. That's just to say, I know a lot of people would look at these kind of stats and then say, oh, that's not what I know, you know, like, I, yeah, <laughs> I get that's that a lot. not yeah. how it is. Like, well, let's just say if let's just all follow the spirit of science for a second, if you so praise <laughs> it, you know, let's put aside our biases and just dive into the actual facts a little bit. Mm-hmm. My, but my point is not that China is number one, go China. That's not actually what I'm, my point is that we're looking at demographic changes in terms of who's going where and for what. Exactly. And I think, I think as an American, what I'm trying to say to my American brothers and sisters is 
come to China, live here for a while, maybe get a degree, get a master's degree, or like just work for a year and open your mind and your eyes to understanding China better because it is an increasingly very important place to understand in our day and age. And if we, if mm-hmm. we don't, if we Americans continue to like put our fingers in our ears and say, I only watch 24 hour media, then we're going to misunderstand a lot of really important developments in our day and age. Mm. All right. Thank you for your time, Alex. Please join (laughs) us on the bridge where we connect East and West next time. Thank you for listening to us. We'll see you next time. 